Welcome to episode 203 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on June 25th, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell, and this is a Tux Digital Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, and a bit of Linux kernel news to talk about. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with the show this week, as you can probably tell, I'm in a different setting. I'm actually at Ryan's right now, and it's been an interesting setup process to get everything ready to go. I wasn't able to do it live this week because of all the extra setup. It turns out I was about two hours after the normal starting time, but before I started recording this because it was just so much to do. It turns out my OBS setup is pretty complicated. Ryan gives me a bit of flack for that, and it is not portable really at all. I mean, I was able to do it, but it took a long time to do it. So in the future, I got to figure out a way to make that more practical, I guess. But for now, everything's ready to go, I hope. Fingers crossed, I hope. So let's get into the show, but before we do, be sure to go to tuxdigital.com slash subscribe to get ways to subscribe to this show and all the other great content on the Tux Digital Network. There's just so much, like the Destination Linux podcast and much, much more. Just go check it out. Links in the show notes. But if you want to go ahead and do it right now, tuxdigital.com slash subscribe. At the Open Source Summit this week, Linus Torvalds participated in a fireside chat presentation where he and Dirk Hondel talked about working from home, Rust in Linux, and much more. Linus likes to do these fireside chats instead of presentations because he doesn't like to stand up and do in front of these conferences. He prefers more like an interview style, and that's what these fireside chats provide, which they are very interesting to see because it also is curious, like, what would the interviewer come up with as far as questions to ask Linus in these kind of settings? So it is really cool. Be sure to check out the full version because I'm not going to be able to talk about everything, so I'll have links in the show notes for that. Now, they talked about the effects that COVID had on kernel development, which I thought was really interesting because uh, Linus Torvalds says that I'm sure it affected a lot of developers, but from a development standpoint, somebody actually did the statistics. In the first few months of lockdown, it, it actually improved. Pro productivity went up because we've all worked all over email anyway. And Stephen Von Nichols had a very interesting response to this in his article when he covered the topic. He's the senior contributor editor of ZDNet, wrote, in the response saying that if anyone tells you complicated technical work cannot be done remotely, tell them to look at Linux. And that's a great point because Linux is such a critical part of technology at this point, and they've been doing it remotely pretty much since the beginning. And if a technology or project that complicated can do it, then probably most can. So Linus mentioned that there are a lot of exciting stuff that, uh, being done in the kernel with new architectures and new languages like Rust. We're going to talk about a little bit of that. So in terms of Rust, he says that there are real technical reasons like memory safety, why Rust is good to get in the kernel. And people have been working on it a lot. So he says he really hopes it works out, and it's going to start out with very small, very specific parts of the kernel. But soon, perhaps as early as the next major release of the Linux kernel, Rust will be appearing inside of the next, possibly, next release of the kernel which is really cool because we've been talking about this on the, on the show 
uh, a few times. We've mentioned it that people were working on putting Rust in the kernel because there's a lot of potential there. And it's really cool to see how fast it's moving and what could be like the future of the kernel. Now they're talking about like maybe it could be taking over bigger spots, but they've done this before with other languages to kind of give it a test to see if it's viable. And some of them kind of helped, some of them did not. So we'll see what happens with Rust. Uh, Hondel also introduced the topic of user space application programming interfaces or APIs, asking Linus, you say the user space APIs cannot be broken. They are considered a promise. And a lot of discussions are going into this right now about what's actually in the API. Now it's really interesting because he talks about documentation, about the comparison between what's in the API and what the documentation says is in the API. But what's really cool about it is he talked about the thing that he says is the most annoying thing that he can imagine is doing a software upgrade and things not working. So if some kind of software takes advantage of a bug that's in the kernel, that bug is no longer a bug, it becomes a feature. And there's a joke about it's not a bug, it's a feature. In this case, they treat it that way because that there are things relying on it. And as long as it's not a security issue or causing other problems, then they're going to maintain it for as long as possible. And I think that's a really interesting approach to, you know, con consideration of between what's a bug and what's a feature. So the don't break user space thing that's been very commonly talked about in terms of kernel development is we got a little bit more information about that. But if you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes. The Arch Linux based Manjaro distro has a new release with Manjaro 21.3. This release is powered by the 5.15 LTS kernel and Manjaro 21.3 now supports Lux partitions with their Calamares installer. The GNOME edition has been upgraded to GNOME 42. You can learn more about GNOME 42 and when we covered it much more in depth in episode 191 of Twill. And also KDE Plasma 524 is now available in the KDE edition. Now 525 is the latest version, but the latest version you can get in Manjaro is 524. And you can learn more about KDE Plasma 524 in episode 185 of This Week in Linux. And XFCE 4.16 is seen as the desktop environment for the XFCE edition. And you can learn more about XFCE 4.16 in 131 of Twill. Now, this has been used in multiple releases of Manjaro. It's not just now in Manjaro, but it is worth noting that if you would like to learn more about that particular release, which there is a lot of cool stuff in there, like fractional scaling and stuff like that, you can check out episode 131 of This Week in Linux to learn more there. And if you'd like to learn more about this particular news with Manjaro and this latest release, link in the show notes. Before I get to the next topic, I want to first apologize to your bank account because the Steam Summer Sale is now live right now, and it's going on until July 7th. You'll find games in the Steam Summer Sale for up to 80% off their regular price. The Steam Summer Sale is usually one of the biggest sales of the year, so there are many types of games with discounts this year. Platformer games like Hollow Knight and Skull, or games like V Rising, Borderlands 3, No Man's Sky, Unrailed, Control, Disco, Elysium, and many, many more. There's also applications on sale, such as the fantastic Krita. Now, of course, you can just go to krita.org and get the, the application. You just download it directly for free. But if you want to support the project of Krita, you can do so, and you can do so at a discount with 50% off by going to get it from the Steam Summer Sale. So if you dare to risk your wallet at the Steam Summer Sale, then you'll find a link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. 
but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get started at every stage of growth. No matter what size you are, you have a team of one person to a team of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because you can get a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started on the awesome cloud platform that is DigitalOcean with that $100 free credit. They're giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. The next topic is related to KDE and what they're looking at for the future of their projects. So KDE sets goals periodically to help guide the future of the projects. And this approach helps the community focus on important things that need to get done in collaboration across many different teams. Over the years, the community has set goals to tackle issues with usability, making it easier for new contributors to get started with KDE projects, implementing new tech, and much more. And every couple of years, new goals are selected to reflect the community's current priorities, and that time is now. So anyone can submit new goals to help shape the future direction of the KDE community. Now, this stage is in the process lasts until July 16th. But don't wait until the last moment, of course, because, you know, if you don't get it in, they might not be able to see it and be able to review it in a much, as much time as they need. But then they will be using other times to, you know, listen to feedback and get more kind of refining and updating proposal stuff if you want to do it. So it's best to just go ahead and do it now so you have more time to get that feedback and stuff like that. So now they're only, they have some re requirements of how these proposals work. So you need to check out the link in the show notes to get the full details because you need to have an account with their system and also you need to have it kind of fleshed out of what all you want to see going forward. Uh, and it also, if you do this, you become the, if you submit it, you become the goals champion, which essentially puts you as the, the kind of the leader of it. And you don't necessarily have to be a developer for it, but you kind of need to, you know, motivate people to want to help with the proposal that you want to do. So it does, it's not just, here's an idea. You need to put some, you know, more uh, effort into uh, collecting the thoughts of others and the developers and see if you can get, you know, garner some support in that. So it is really interesting that they do this sort of stuff. One of the best things about open source is the community and the outreach that projects are able to do with the community. And this is a fantastic example of that sort of thing. So well done, KDE. And if you'd like to learn more about this, check out the links in the show notes. Flameshot is a very powerful, but also pretty simple approach to doing screenshot tools because they have, you can use the complexity if you want to, but you don't have to. And it's very simple to get started with all the different tools because they're so easily accessible pretty much instantly, which is really cool. Now, I've been a fan of Flameshot and I've used it quite a lot. There are certain things that I love about Flameshot and there's some things that I didn't really like, so I kind of used a combination of multiple uh, screenshot tools. But one of a couple of the things that I was hoping that they would do in the future, they have done in this release with Flameshot 12.0, so I am super excited to play with this latest version. And the biggest thing for me 
is that it now has basic layer movement functionality. Now, that just means you can take layers up and down in the scope of the, of the screenshot. So if you create different elements, you no longer have to worry about being restricted of what order you do those elements in, which is fantastic. And now, this is also something that's very important for me as I've gotten used to this as a professional designer. Every design tool has the system of being able to control objects or layers so it's really, really nice to see this as a part of the screenshot tool because I always hit these sort of roadblocks when I was using it before. And now I'm so happy to see this improvement because I can not have to worry about that and I'm very excited to play with that. Now this release also made the color wheel easier to customize, which is very nice. They added a magnifier for more precise selections, which is awesome. They improved the look and feel of the incremental marker features. And what's really great is they added the ability to cache the last region that you did a screenshot for. That was also another thing that really kind of bothered me with using Flameshot because once you, before, once you did a screenshot, you'd have to reselect every single time. And now the launcher tool will automatically populate the coordinates for the last selected region. And this is incredibly useful. And I'm so happy to see this feature being added as this is one of the few things, like I said, that made me think twice about whether I was gonna use Flameshot or something else. And now that decision is a lot harder to make. So great job, Flameshot. I'm looking forward to playing with it. There's also a lot more features in this latest release of 12.0, so check that out. I'll have links in the show notes. There is a new task manager or to-do app that I found this week that I wanted to feature on the show because, well, it looks pretty slick and I am very much excited to try this out. Some people like to use the terminal some prefer to use a GUI for different tools, but there's also a middle ground with the concept of a TUI or terminal user interface. And that is the path that Doit took. So you can use Doit in a terminal, but with a more modern UI inside of the terminal. Now, I haven't had a chance to try it out myself as I've been traveling this week, as I mentioned earlier in the show, but it looks really, really interesting. Now they say, and I like this quote, they say a to-do manager that you didn't ask for, but needed. So, there's a lot of cool features it has. So being in the terminal, you would think that that kind of limits it in some ways, but this is pretty complex and robust application. So I am super excited to try it out. So it has configurable icons and themes. It supports keyboard navigation and also mouse navigation, which is fantastic to have the combination. Uh, they also, they have the ability to separate to-do lists based on topic with also doing branching. And they even have nested uh, to-dos such as subtasks, which is just fantastic. You can also do editable uh, due dates and urgency like priorities and stuff like that. And just so much more. It even has searching and the ability to jump to a to-do which is really quickly on the fly. So I am super excited to try it like I said already, but I guess that's how much I want to try this because it looks pretty, pretty cool because it has a very simple approach, but also a complexity that I think is exciting. Although it's probably worth noting that the installation process is not super simple. So I wish they would make it much easier, like say for example, create a flat pack, that'd be great. But overall, this is still something I'm super excited. And if you would like to check out, do it, then you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com tux. Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, it provides you with various different types of tools, such as a secured vault to store all of your passwords, also an auto generator that can generate passwords, usernames, and now email addresses, which is fantastic. You can learn more about that 
in the links in the show notes. And also you even have the ability to automatically fill in those passwords on login forms. So you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus you can have access across many different types of devices, whether it's you're using your web browser, mobile application, desktop application, or even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device, which means you're the only person with access to your data. And that's very important for a password manager. So I love that part. And also go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And I mentioned you can get started for free, but I think you want to check out their premium account because you can get started with your premium account with all the extra benefits for less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month. Get you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, Bitwarden Send, and so much more. All of this for less than a dollar per month. That's just a fantastic deal. So make the smart move like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Back in March, we covered FSR 2.0 from AMD on episode 190 of Twill, and we talked about this project, which is really cool. AMD's FSR, or Fidelity FX Super Resolution, is for high-performance spatial upscaling for video games across different platforms. And we also talked about how they mentioned they were going to do open sourcing of this project. And that's what we're going to talk about today as they have done this. So FSR2 uses cutting edge temporal algorithms to reconstruct fine geometric and texture detail, producing anti-aliased output from aliased input. FSR2 a technology has been developed from the ground up and is the result of years of research from AMD. And it has been designed to provide higher image quality compared to FSR1, the original open source spatial upscaling solution that was launched in June 2021. And what's really cool is that you can kind of support both because they do it in a much different way. So you can technically have a game developer support both of them, which is pretty cool. And FSR 2.0 was released under the MIT license. So they made true to their statement that they were going to open source it. And now this is going to may maybe leave some people with some you know, criticism or praise, depending on where they land on the copy side copy left side of things, and I think this is fantastic. I would have kind of rather see it as a GPL release, but at the same time, it's still fantastic that they did this because seeing more companies like this open sourcing such critical things. Now, they've AMD has done this many times, open sourcing their projects, so it's not surprising that they stayed true to their word, but it's just awesome, and I wanted to give them a, a little bit of a you know thank you for doing that because you know there's a lot of projects, there are a lot of companies that say they're going to do this stuff, and then never do it. So they get a little bit of attention when they claim it and then never follow through. So when they follow through, I wanted to highlight that. So there you go. If you'd like to learn more about this, link is in, links in the show notes. The application Noise Torch is back after a possible security concern that was found, but it's been reviewed thoroughly by the community and is back with a new release. For those unfamiliar, Noise Torch is a popular real-time microphone noise suppression software. So to kind of break it down like what it does, Noise Torch is easy to use open source application for Linux with Pulse Audio and Pipewire support, and it creates a virtual microphone that suppresses noise in any application. You can use whichever conferencing or VoIP application you like, or simply select the Noise Torch virtual microphone as input to kind of, they claim to, they say to torch the sound of your mechanical keyboard, computer fans, trains, or whatever. And you can do this with, there's also other software you can do that like EasyFX, 
but Noise Torch makes it a lot easier to do, which is why it's pretty cool. But a little over a month ago, the developer had a machine compromise, and that computer had some private keys to the repos, giving attackers access to mess with the source code if they wanted to. Now, this in this new version of 0.12.0, the community helped by completing a review of the code, and no issues were found, which is awesome. And it's so fantastic that the community jumped in to help like see if they if anybody did try to mess with the code and there are no issues found and that is awesome to hear plus to help against any future issues they're no longer using a separate update server and instead they'll be using github releases so it's all more transparent and they also said for added security they're also now using more github features to validate the code as well they have also improved the update process to make it easier for users in the future to update their software which is always great to hear and if you'd like to learn more about Noise Torch, check out the links in the show notes. We've got some great news from Zoom and that it now supports screen sharing on Wayland for Linux, which is awesome. And this starts as version 5.11.0. Now, this is great because there are people who need to use Zoom. But just real quick, I want to let you know that I'm not recommending Zoom because they have some weird policies and they've been known to do some odd things make weird decisions. Sure, there are some cool features that Zoom has. There's a lot of cool features that Zoom has, but you know, some of their policies are not ideal. So I'm not recommending it. I'm just telling you about this because I think it's important that people know because it should be helpful for those who are using it for uh, work or school or whatever other reason that kind of requires them to use Zoom. And now they can do that on Waylon with screen sharing. So that is just awesome. If you'd like to learn more about this news with Zoom and Wayland support, check out the links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute and checking out the links for This Week in Linux. Also, if you'd like to help out other shows on the network, go to tuxdigital.com contribute and check out the links for those shows as well. And if you do become a patron of This Week in Linux, you can join me during the live stream when I'm live streaming, which was not this week because of the travel and the setup. It was a bit messy, and also even some of the visuals are not exactly the right, but they're close. I think they look pretty good for the time I had to do it. So I, if you want to check out the uh, patron-only post show that we do for patrons when we do live streams, that happens every week almost. <laughs> so be sure to become a patron to check that out when you can join me in the recording stadium to discuss discuss stuff between topics and hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff. We have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more. Go to tuxdigital.com store. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. And if you want to learn more about the other parts, the other shows, go to tuxdigital.com slash podcast to check out all the different shows that you can enjoy on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every, almost every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room most of the time, to discuss all the Linux latest Linux news each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live. Okay, not every week, but that 
I'm just used to saying it that way, so it came out that way, but you get it. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.